Thank you, Brother Aiden, and thank you for the warm CLC welcome. Don't get that very often. I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles to Psalm 67. Uh, if you've been here before, when I have been here, you know that in my retirement years, I have challenged myself to, to walk through the Psalms in order and to share the results of my own reflection uh, with the congregations that invite me to speak. I'm very excited this, uh, this afternoon because I think this is a psalm that is really fit for you. Um, sometimes uh, I've often thought that some of the psalms I preached on in the past would be ones that I wouldn't have uh, chosen, but I've committed myself to take the next one in order. <laughs> so anyway, we're going to look at Psalm 67, which I think is quite a remarkable psalm. It's not one that stands out like Psalm 23 or 24, or Psalm 8, or some of the more familiar ones, Psalm 103. Uh, but the late uh, J.R. Stott, J.R.W. Uh, uh, Stott, who was the rector of All Saints Church in London and chaplain to Queen Elizabeth II, um, <clears throat> a noted uh, pastor and world speaker. Uh, my wife saw him at Urbana back in the day. Uh, and he used to frequently uh, attend and be part of the, of the teaching at the Urbana Conferences in Ur Ur Urbana, Illinois. Uh, he was a man whose heart was big on missions. And um, so it's not surprising that toward the end of his life, of the many books that he wrote, he, um, he wrote one... Uh, uh, on the Psalms that basically featured his favorite Psalms. And there are about 37 of the 150 or so that, are in, that were in his book. And one of them was Psalm 67. Uh, a couple of, uh, uh, about a year ago, I was preaching in another church and a, a man came up to me and wanted me to give me my list of 25 Psalms that, that uh, I think are the most significant. And... Um, because he wanted to memorize them. And so he was getting lists from people that he respected. And so I gave him, I thought down, sat down, thought about it, and then developed a list and gave it to him. Psalm 67 was not one of them. But if I were do it, to do it today, it would be. <laughs> and uh, I, I hope that it will become one of your favorites as well. It's short. And that makes it nice to preach on. Psalm 67 expresses a longing of the people of God. That longing when we are rightly oriented to his word and his kingdom. Historically, in the life of the church, it was a morning prayer back in the, the medieval period in the monasteries. It was a morning prayer that was sung with the rising sun. And as we will read it in a moment, I think you can imagine what a wonderful way to begin your day, what a wonderful reminder that we need to hear often as the church of Jesus Christ. 
in that case, it can also be regarded as something of a mission statement or a vision statement to keep us on track when there are forces intent on distracting us or derailing us. And this is bound to be one of those kinds of years. 1924 is adding up to be the pro a year that promises thus just those kinds of distractions and derailings of our life and our focus. And if predictions are true, circumstances could very easily consume us if we don't keep a strong vision of what God has called us to do as believers and as the church of his beloved son. And thus is we stand here in a transition. That's what New Year's are. You're beginning a semester. You've put the old behind. Hopefully there's good, there was good in that. You're looking forward to a new one. There's always excitement to that. But we're looking forward to a new year and all of its possibilities and all of its possible distractions and opportunities to be derailed. Let us hear the reading of this psalm and see just how remarkable a word it has for us. It begins with the opening superscript. To the choir master, a psalm given to the musicians of the church that it might be sung in the worship of the sacred assembly. with stringed instruments. Yes, we have one up here. And this counts too, by the way. <laughs> with instrumentation, a psalm, a song. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Now, I've called this, this psalm a prayer for 2024. It's a prayer by the church directed to the Lord God himself. And we can perhaps think of at least three petitions in this prayer for which we are asking God to pour out his blessing in this way. The setting here is very general. It is thought to 
have been perhaps uh, construed for a harvest festival. Uh, we were talking with uh, your host, one of the leaders of your host today. is a big Asian festival coming up. And they're going to have, is that next week, uh, Pastor Aiden out here? They said they might get a little raucous. Uh, but uh, we've got the microphones, you see. So you just turn up the volume and you'll be just fine. Um, of course, I'm thinking here of the new year, the, the real new year. Um, perhaps this was a psalm that was crafted for the Passover or for Pentecost or for the Feast of Booths, because all of these were festivals where people traveled, went to Jerusalem, they rejoiced in the Lord uh, of, of, the, of the giver of every good gifts. The substance of the psalm is what I think really captures my imagination. And it's, the substance is what we would call the Abrahamic covenant or the Abrahamic promise. And we will get to that in a minute as to why it's so important. This promise, which will be addressed in this psalm, is kind of like the red thread that is woven through the fabric of the Bible. And like any thread, if you see it hanging on a garment, you're tempted to pull it out. And sometimes you have to be careful because you might unravel everything and everything would fall apart. You don't want to pull the red thread out because that's what holds the Bible together. The Bible is like a string of pearls with a beautiful, costly brooch hanging in the middle of it. And the Bible is filled with accounts and stories and genealogies and things that are strange to us. But there's a thread running through it. And that thread Display, holds together this display of this beautiful brooch and we call that beautiful brooch the Lord Jesus Christ. All of scripture is about the promise of him and the life that people like you and me can have in his name. Alexander McLaren, a famous Bible preacher from generations before simply put it this way that this psalm is a, a missionary psalm and that will become I think if not already a, a, a very clear the message of the church of Jesus Christ remains and always will remain the world's best hope and we would do well to keep our focus on that calling for the Church of Christ. Here you represent the nations, or at least part of the nations, the population of the nations. And the university is really very international. From every tribe, tongue, and nation, people come from all over the world. We needn't send out missionaries because we just need to be missionaries. And we need to send them out too, by the way. At the church that I preached at this morning, there is a, a gentleman who 
loves the Lord Jesus from mainland China, near Beijing. He did not come to know Christ until he came over here to study and he got involved in a Bible study. And God opened his heart to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And now his family and his children are serving and worshiping the Lord together. And that's how it works. You have a great opportunity here. So here is our prayer for 2024. Being careful not to listen to all the dissonant voices that you will hear if you spend too much time on media of any kind. Let us remember the voice of God himself. And may we pray this, may the blessing of God abound. How does this psalm begin? It begins with the fundamental benediction of the Bible. I had to memorize this when I was in seminary, and perhaps you had to as well. And you have probably heard this as a blessing at the end of a worship service. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Now, this isn't just a religious way to say we're done, go home. This is the pronouncement of God through the mouth of the speaker upon the people of God. And I've always considered one of my highest privileges as a minister of the gospel to raise my hands and say, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you. And this is how this psalm begins. Verse one, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. So wonderful words. For his shining glory to be put upon us. This is the glory we anticipate in heaven. When we stand with the four living creatures and the elders casting their crowns at the one who is seated upon the throne around the glassy sea, the glory of God is shining. May we get a glimpse of that as we join in together in the worship of the living God. Now, this is a blessing that is pronounced specifically on the people of God. And in the Old Testament, that was primarily the Jewish people. It was, it's called the Aaronic blessing because it was the blessing that Aaron, as the high priest, was to pronounce on the occasions of worship and otherwise. The Aaronic blessing pronounced upon the people of God. But there's an interesting twist to this almost immediately. This, the church's character, we have here what one commentator says, if the spirit of this psalm is that of the Abrahamic hope, its text is the Aaronic blessing. And here's the twist. The church of Christ, we pray that the church of Christ might be blessed so that we can be a blessing to the nations. 
In other words, we're not to keep it all for ourselves. We stand as we stand as a witness to the nations around us. A blessing for the people of God, we see here. The benediction is given for God's people in particular. And certainly there are blessings that are for God's people. You may have heard this before. And it's often misquoted. Or it's quoted in the wrong context. We see the verse, people will say, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, says the Lord, and I will forgive their sins and heal their land. I know many of my, my friends will quote that verse thinking, ah, this is for God to bless America. I hope God does bless America, but this verse has nothing to do with that. It's a blessing on the people of God, and it's a call to repentance. It's a call that we would confess our sin and trust that Lord, the Lord will heal us of our sin and to form us into a new nation, a new kingdom, to be part of a new land, as it were. Not a body politic, but a kingdom that is not of this world, as Jesus said. Now here's the twist. The blessing for the people of God was also to be a blessing for the nations as well. And I think that's the remarkable thing. That's the thing that we need to get under our skin. God blesses his people, you, the people of Christ. God blesses his people that the nations may know God's way and his saving power. Your, that your way may be known on earth and your saving power among, what? All nations. Now, I don't know about you, but if you do not have Hebrew blood in you, then you are the nations. I am the nations. My heritage comes from the British Isles. Your heritage, many of you, comes from the, from the east, the, the, the southeast, the near east, the far east, Korea, Taiwan, Hong Kong, China, I don't know. That's where your heritage... That makes you the nations just like me, which means that we are the benefactors of God blessing his people, and when we become his people, we are to be part of that blessing, blessing others as well. So the whole focus of the church is not on ourselves, it's out there to be a blessing to the nations. Dane Ortland has said in his little devotional commentary, the psalm immediately goes on to draw the nations of the earth into this ancient blessing. This is who God is. He is not parochial. He's not narrow-minded. His welcome to sinners is wide. 
It's wide. And if we claim Christ, then we have been engrafted into this into this blessing, into this people. Listen to what Paul said to the church at Thessalonica. And you became imitators of us, he says, and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affection, and the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. So from Thessalonica, the gospel rung out into the surrounding provinces. Not only for those, it not only has the word of God sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. Now, Paul, of course, did say a lot, and he couldn't keep his mouth shut, which is good. But there was a lot of work that was done ahead of time by this little nondescript church taking the blessing that they had received and turning it outward to the nations. So as we enter this new year, May the blessing of God abound on us so that we can be a blessing to others, leaving the results to the Lord. The second part of this prayer is found in verses 3 through 5. And this is kind of like a symphony that builds to a climax. May the promise of God prevail. Now, there is a fundamental promise in the Bible. That promise is first declared in Genesis 3.15. It's probably the most important verse in the Bible because the rest of the Bible is is propelled forward all the way to to Revelation by this one verse. The Lord God speaks to the serpent, to the evil one, And he says, I will put enmity, strife, clashing between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He, the woman's seed, will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Now we have to think about that a little bit. What's he saying? There is one born of a woman who will one day deal a death blow to the kingdom of darkness. But he will be wounded in the process. He will be wounded in the process. Um, <laughs> hold that thought, because I hear an alarm going off in my, on my phone. <laughs> if you just bring the, bring the case up here, Kathy, the Bible case. It's sitting at the base of the chair, right there. Bring it up here. You see, when you get old, you got to take pills. And I forget. Now, I turn my phone off, 
but I didn't remember to turn it all the way off. Thank you very much. Let's see, where were we? May the promise of God prevail. And that promise begins in Genesis 3.15. It, is, it, it, is, it begins to get fleshed out in Genesis 12. And it gets fleshed out with God calling Abraham to faith. And he does so with these words. Now hear me. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse him who dishonors you, and in you, hear me on this, all families of the earth will be blessed. That promise grows and germinates and becomes a full blossom bearing fruit in the New Testament with the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, who was that blessing, is that blessing to the nations. In Christ, he gave his life as a ransom for many. He bore our sin in his own body on the tree. He defeated the evil of the evil one. And one day, he will return and set all things right. The nations were always part of God's plan. Hear me on this. They always were. It wasn't an afterthought for God's plan. It was always a part of God's plan. From the very beginning of the promise, God intended that people from every tribe, tongue, and nation would be part of this grand family named after the name of the Lord Jesus. The church is not a mystery. It's not a parenthesis. It's not a secret. It was intended from the very get-go. Isaiah saw it when he said, it is too light a thing that you should be called my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you a light to the nations that my Savior, my salvation, may reach to the ends of the earth. The great Charles Spurgeon of the 19th century said, the great theme of this psalm is the participation of the Gentiles, that's you and me, in the worship of Jehovah. That's what this psalm is all about. Now listen to this crescendo. But the peoples, the peoples, plural, it's not just Israel, it's us. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples 
praise you. As I said, this is like a symphony building to a crescendo. It's as though it's a fanfare of, of this expression that the hope of the Lord Jesus will be extended to every corner of the globe. Let the peoples praise you. Blessedness is inclusive. Breaking down the walls between peoples who may misunderstand themselves. Let the peoples everywhere praise you. Blessedness is extensive. It includes every tribe, tongue, and nation. Worthy are you to take the scroll sings that song in Revelation 5, 9, and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe, language, people, and nation. And again in Revelation 7, 9, after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. He sees heaven now. He sees the church triumphant in glory. No one could number, where? From every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. That's heaven. That's heaven. People called from all corners by the grace of God. And we are invited to participate in that work that God has called us to. He judges with equity, impartiality, unlike the favoritism so much a part of modern justice systems. He guides the nations pastorally. There's a pastoral concern here. Ephesians 3, 5, uh, 3, 17, and 19, to me somewhat summarize the whole sense here. The love of God just simply cannot be put into a box. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, what is the length, what is the height, what is the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is what is included when we pray, may the promise of God prevail. We want to see lives claimed for Jesus, not just lives like us, but lives that are different from us, from different cultures and different backgrounds, what a privilege. And where can this be done if not in the unifying work of the church? I believe in the holy Christian church. It's not the holy Presbyterian church, the holy Baptist church, the holy independent church. It's the holy Christian church. The unity in the gospel. And if we pray... May the blessing of God abound and may the promise of God prevail. We may also pray, may the fear of God increase. Fear of God. That's a strange 
strange sound to modern ears. Verses 6 and 7, the earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us and let all the ends of the earth fear him. When God blesses people, they fear him. Now, what do we mean? Well, we certainly know that some of the saints of the Bible, when they were confronted with the, the, the full expression of God's glory, they, they were in virtual terror. Think about Isaiah in the temple. Woe is me, he says, as he sees the glory of God in the temple. I, I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips because I've seen your glory. And poor John on the Isle of Patmos, he thought he was having a hard day. And then he saw the glory of Christ standing before him and it says he fell at his feet as dead. But let me say that this is not the fear that's being spoken of. That's the fear of being dwarfed before the infinite. And that's how any of us would react. In fact, if we survive, because Moses wanted to see the glory of God, and he was told, no one can see my glory and live. What the fear of the Lord is, is a reverence, a sense of awe before his greatness. Some of the most significant verses, uh, books in my life, I'll just mention one, is J.I. Packer's Knowing God. I think that was the first time I was introduced to the idea of a God-focused life on God's attributes and his glory were life-changing. But the Christian faith, the church, is not about making you feel better. It's about casting for you a vision of the glory of God so your life can actually be changed. A.W. Tozier, The Knowledge of the Holy, is another one that falls into this. And there are some older ones that your pastor probably read, like Stephen Charnock's Attributes of God. Those Christian writers who focus upon God's glory do the church a great service because it cultivates in us a fear of the Lord, a sense of his awe, his reverence. And we have very, in, this, in, in our world today, there's very little sense of awe or reverence about anything. This is the church's character. And it used to be the fundamental description of a child of God. Our, our forefathers you know, didn't say, oh, he's born again, or he's trusted Jesus, or whatever. All of these are appropriate phrases, you understand. But they would describe a Christian as one who fears the Lord. They get it. This is what being woke really means, that we see God for who he is, and we are transformed by it. Because when we come face to face, in some small sense, with the living God, you cannot walk away the same person.
we can, re, we can regard this admonition, this prayer, as it were, as a general sense in which God, may, God does, in fact, reign upon the just and the unjust alike, and therefore all may, in some sense, hold him in respect and obey his law, but that's not redemptive. There is an eschatological sense. We may be praying that the king of kings would rule on his throne. Well, he already is, but his throne is not as visibly apparent as it will be one day. Or as we pray, may the fear of God increase, we may be praying in a special sense. May the sinners, may sinners put their trust in Christ and learn the fear of the Lord, which the Bible says is the beginning of all wisdom. Derek Kidner has said, let, let God, the psalm encourages us to pray, who brings, out, brings much out of little and distributes it in love, bring such blessing on us as to make us in our turn a blessing to the world. Now, if you turn to the New Testament, Jesus simply said, go and make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always to the ends of the age. This is a missionary psalm. It's an invitation for the church to call down God's blessing that they may be a blessing to others in return. And what is that blessing? But seeing people come to faith in Christ and become worshipers of the living God and know what it is to fear him. Why has God's grace come to us, asks Dane Ortland? For the same reason it came to the Israelites of old so that this same grace can stream, stream out to the nations. And my friends, if we keep that focus, then all the other voices that are going to be clamoring for our attention this year will simply fall by the wayside. Because this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our dear Lord and Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, that you would bless us with these words. Oh Lord, may our hearts be for the nations. And Lord, the nations literally at the university are at our doorstep. And we are becoming more and more an international city. We pray, Lord, that we might think hard as to how we may take opportunity to be a blessing to those that some might put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and be part of God's forever family. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.